This is the third Sunday of Advent, and so I thought first I would explain a little something about the color of the vestments. Then I would uh, want to do a little recapitulation of the season thus far, and then hopefully that will segue into Zephaniah, Philippians, and the Gospel according to St. Luke, where once again, John, don't sing Jingle Bells to me, the Baptist, is on the scene. As you know, at St. Luke's, we believe the Episcopal Church is a system of salvation by haberdashery. And so this is Gaudete Sunday, which is called Rose Sunday. These vestments, by the way, my friends, are rose-colored, not pink. Although I must say, this is uh, the time of year, this and the fourth Sunday in Lent, when at least some of the clergy around here get to wear vestments that are more consonant with their political and social principles than at other times. But that's for another day. Gaudete is a Latin word. The Latin liturgy, uh, the old liturgy, had an entrance instead of a hymn, You'd sing a psalm or an entrance called the introit, which means entrance. And the introit began this Sunday with gaudete, rejoice, is what it means uh, in Latin. So that's why we call it Gaudete Sunday. So let me do some recapitulation. As you know, I love the word recapitulation. It's one of my favorite words. And here are the themes of Advent that are now uh, present to us this Sunday and the last two. Next week we switch gears and focus on the, on the coming of, the, of Jesus in a si significant way. These three weeks have been preparatory. I mentioned to you last week that in the history of the Christian year, the development of the Christian year in those churches that have a liturgical year, there were two distinct cycles. Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, and Lent, Easter, Pentecost. The earliest cycle is Lent, Easter, Pentecost, and later in development we have Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. And by the 500s in Western Christianity, the celebration of the season of Advent was all but universal in the Western Church. So here are the themes, repentance, hope, expectancy, and joy. Those are the spiritual characteristics that each of us are urged to cultivate and to strengthen and renew this time of, this time of year. And when we speak about that, we're speaking about how these qualities affect our spiritual, emotional, and mental states, both internally and relationally, as people, as persons, and in relationship in the community we call the church, but also in the wider world, how we become the transparencies and reflections of God's grace and love to other people, how that is done. So let me say a word to you about repentance. We, I say this over and over again. In the New Testament, in the Greek New Testament, there are two words that are used for repent. 
The first one that is talked about by preachers a lot is metanoia. Metanoia means to turn around and to look at your life in a new way. And the other word that is used for repent in the Greek New Testament is epistrophe. And here's the difference. Metanoia has to do with the, with the internal mental, spiritual, and emotional states that are part of this process of self-reflection and the decision that is made by the person to uh, get back on track or to begin to change the direction of your life. But this word mainly means uh, the internal resolve that you make. I got a, you know, I'm a blues fan, and uh, one of the lines that appears often in certain the urban blues is, "Baby, they're going to have to be some changes made," right? So when we think about that, that's what you're talking about. They're going to have to be some changes made. But epistrophe has something to do with saying, I am taking this internal resolve, this desire, this yearning to change, and I'm going to put it in my hands. I'm going to do something about it. I'm actually now going to begin to say, how do I behaviorally make the changes that I believe God is calling me to make for my own spiritual, emotional, and mental welfare? and for being in the best position I can be to be able to commend uh, what I believe is the practical wisdom that I've learned about my life to other people. So they're both necessary in our understanding of the nature of repentance. Jesus, a disciple of John the Baptist, will preach repentance in his earthly ministry. But his earthly ministry is going to take a left turn from John the Baptist. We'll talk about this in a minute, where his focus will not be on repentance only. It will be on the values of the kingdom of God. And a person who has reconverted themselves and has strengthened their ability to meet the challenges and the opportunities in front of them is now going to be in a position to reflect back to other people the values of the kingdom of God. And remember I say practically in every sermon, each one of you has a role to play in God's plan for the cosmos in big and small ways. And so the process of repentance, taking inventory, is an important thing as you move forward in your life and begin to understand how to do that. So Advent is about repentance. It'll come up again in Lent, but it comes up for the first time at the beginning of the church year. And you know, for Christians who have a liturgical year, Advent is the beginning of the year. So we begin the Christian year in Advent, and coincidentally, of course, in our own secular calendar, we will have New Year's. And what do we do often on New Year's? We make New Year's resolutions, don't we? We decide that we're gonna do something I'm always trying to be careful about it. Most of us make too many big resolutions that we cannot possibly keep. You need to do this in small bites. I used to have a sign on my, in my bulletin board in the office that said, procrastination is the simultaneous realignment of my priorities. <laughs> oh no, 
spontaneous realignment of my priorities. That's better. You know, if you do this in small bites, you're going to be able to procrastinate less as an example. Hope. You've heard me say this, honesty, openness, persistence, enthusiasm. The hopeful Christian person is able to say, if I need to repent, then I am hopeful. I, I, if I'm honest and open and persistent and enthusiastic about this, I can make some constructive changes or I can get back on track or I can express more fully all of those good things that I can do. The process of repenting and self-reflection is not just about your faults. It's not just about your shortcomings. It's not where you've gone off the rails only. It's recovering and understanding what it is that you can do. And each one of you has many good things that you can do and have done to make a difference, both to yourself and your own spiritual, emotional, and mental health, and also to other people that you're in relationship with and organizations that you're part of that are working for a society where it is easier for people to be good. So being a hopeful person is important. It means you know that somehow God unconditionally loves, accepts, and forgives you and knows you by name and loves you. Expectation is the ability to allow your imaginative powers to have their full play in your understanding of who you are and what you want to do. The use of your imagination. I'm not talking about fantasies. I'm talking the ability, the, the ability to vision or to revision those things that you know or believe that are important for you. And to say in any given period, these are the things that I want to live into again. I mentioned this at the sermon discussion. I had a friend in Sausalito who at the beginning of every year, he took two railroad boards and he put uh, pictures on the railroad boards. He would say, I, this year I want to go to China. So he put a picture of the Great Wall of China. This year I want to learn Italian. So he'd put a picture of the Rosetta Stone on his thing, on his board. This year, I want to uh, go to cooking school, whatever. I thought it was kind of hokey. He would do this, and then he would look at them, and then put them in the closet. Right? And, as it turned out, every year he did at least one or two of them. Right? So it was a device that, was, that he used in order to begin to say, how can I do this? How can I allow the full range of my imaginative powers to expect to do some things that are going to enrich me uh, in some way? So expectancy is important. It isn't just uh, wishing like uh, the ad for the woman at the door of Mervyn's. Open, open, open. Remember that? That's what most people think hope is, for heaven's sakes. That's not what we're talking about. And joy. You know, joy is a misunderstood term. For Christian people, joy is at the heart of their self-understanding. And in the reading from Zephaniah and from Philippians, we have 
the affirmation of the centrality and importance of joy. Philippians, mainly, it's quite short, but it's Paul's affirmation of the, of the ability to rejoice in the midst of uh, great difficulties, but also the triumphs that you've had in your life and to give thanks for that and to understand that that's the proper uh, position for Christian people. But Zephaniah, since we hardly ever read from Zephaniah, I think maybe one more time in the lectionary uh, in the Christian year, I ought to say a little something to you about Zephaniah because I wonder sometimes when people get up to read a reading from the book of the prophet Zephaniah. Who's Zephaniah? Right? Well, Zephaniah was a minor prophet. Remember I've told you, what's the difference between a minor prophet and a major prophet? Well, a major prophet has a big book and a minor prophet has a little book. Does it mean the minor prophets are less important than the major prophets? No. One has a big book and another has a little book. Who are the major prophets? Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Jeremiah. And Zephaniah is a minor prophet. One of them like Amos and Hosea and Habakkuk and Obadiah and so on, right? Now Zephaniah exercised his prophetic ministry in Jerusalem from about 650 B.C. to 640 B.C. Remember, B.C., we go backwards, not forwards. So 650 is when he started, and for 10 years, zunk, we're getting down to zero, aren't we? So we start up again with Jesus. Zephaniah is absolutely, makes John the Baptist look like amateur night in most of his writing, except today. And today, he is saying that it is possible to understand now as the people of the covenant that the promises of God are moving in a direction to bring things into some sense of completion Early Christians began to read Zephaniah and include them, him in, this, in our lectionary because they said, you know, we have seen in Jesus Christ the promises that he and other of the minor prophets have outlined about God's reconciling restorative work, both in our own hearts personally and in our relational life and institutionally. And we have seen in this man's words and works, words and works that we can now acquire and be able to make the world a place where it is easier for people to be good. And so on a Sunday where we celebrate joy and rejoicing, this section from Zephaniah is very appropriate. Joy for the Christian person is the belief that the uncertainties and ambiguities and conundrums of life will and can come into surer and clearer focus for each of us, even if it's for a split second, and we will have a deeper and fuller understanding of God's purposes for us, and we will be able to revivify our various vocations and to serve God in whatever way we are called to do, in big and small ways. And you hear me say practically at every sermon that each of you 
has a role to play in God's plan for the cosmos, even in ways that you don't believe have anything to do with religion. Now, you've got to remember that Zephaniah and all the prophets of Israel and all the people in what we call the Old Testament and the people who wrote the biblical books of the Christian scriptures, the New Testament, they didn't see that there was anything, there was any split between sacred and secular. It was all one thing. So when I talk to you about being the best human being that you can be and achieving at your highest and best level the pursuit of excellence, that has a lot to do, it has deep religious significance. So if you make progress in those areas, you're making great religious progress, spiritual progress, as well as vocational, economic, whatever other kind of progress you want to talk about in this particular way. So being joyful is an important thing. John the Baptist today is having the full range of social life in, near, in, in the Palestine of the ancient Near East come to him. Tax collectors, soldiers, ordinary people, the religious leadership, and they're asking him about what they should do. He's giving them some practical advice about how in practice they might do this, which is to share their abundance, which is to not do the things that some of the people in these groups are notorious for. If you're a soldier, you don't loot places. You'd be satisfied with your wages. You don't do that. You know, if you're a tax collector, you collect what you're supposed to collect, the tax, and not anything else. Do you know why tax collectors were so hated in the ancient Near East? Because they were told by the Roman government, you need to collect this tribute from the people, this percentage. If you're able to collect more, do it for yourself, and you keep the difference. Okay? Well, as you can imagine, it got old fast. And John the Baptist is saying, now here's, if you do this, if you're a tax collector, he, do, what, he doesn't say this, does he? Stop being a tax collector. He said, collect the tax that's owed. Not anymore. If you're a soldier, be satisfied with your wages. If you're able to share your, of your substance, give somebody else your extra coat. Do something like that to express the generosity of God. And all of those qualities, all of those suggestions, bear the fruits that befit repentance. You know, sometimes I have people come, I have for many years as a pastor, you know, and they're having some relational problem, or there'll be something else. Somebody that they're close to has behaved or has done things that are bad, that aren't good. And all of a sudden, the person who's done this is very remorseful, and very sorry and wishes to repent. And they say, well, you know, if you just, if you just let me back, I'll, rep I'll change. What does John the Baptist say? Bear the fruit that befits repentance. So you and I need to cultivate the internal self-regulation emotionally, spiritually, and mentally, and the patience to say, 
not until I see the fruits that bear repentance. And that's going to be the test. You know, part of the problem in the public and with many of us is that when somebody really does that, it becomes uh, difficult even then to forgive. So this week, uh, think about bearing the fruits that befit repentance. Think about hope, honesty, openness, persistence, and enthusiasm. Bring your imaginative powers to bear on the full force of how you understand God's purposes for you. See if it's possible for you to be joyful, to know that the uncertainties and ambiguities and conundrums of life will come in surer and clearer focus. That's the promise of the Advent season and what we celebrate in the incarnation, the birth of the infant Jesus on Christmas. Amen.